This episode is brought to you by Catan. Go ahead, quote me right now. I said it. This is the best board game out there. Made for three to four players ages 10 and older. This game is all about building, trading, and settling. And the board is completely variable. So you'll never play the same game twice. So you'll never get bored with it. Make sure to go to katanshop.com forward slash TCID right now to get 10% off the base game. Welcome to another episode of Turning Coal into Diamonds, a funny and inspiring take on how we all have coal moments. You know, those moments that add a little bit of pressure because no matter who you are, we all have them, but it's how we react and move forward that creates a diamond. So let's make diamonds together, y'all. Make sure to never miss an episode by hitting that follow and subscribe button right now, wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you would like to suggest topics for future episodes, be a part of the podcast, suggest guests, make sure to text us at 818-817-6227. And make sure that you guys are staying tuned because this month, of course, we're finishing off Pride Month Strong with special LGBTQIA plus members of the community that I love and appreciate so much. And we have our Catan branded episodes every Friday. This week is going to be a fun, fun episode. So please don't miss that. But I'm really excited to continue this journey with you guys because we're changing up a few things like today's episode we have a little bag of diamonds with some questions in them some spicier than others which we get to ask dahlia unrelated to the topics that we were talking about which i'm really excited to have this little bag of questions to ask guys keep them on their toes keep you guys on your toes and this episode is really special and exciting because dahlia and i talk about a wide variety variety of conversations on imposter syndrome that we both experience on what it's like to be black and queer, especially nowadays, and really talking about how food and how listening to your body is really also important and translates to other areas of our lives. And so this, like I said, is such a mix of juicy conversations and super fun. So stay tuned to Dahlia Kinsey. Sorry. Uh, I, I know what you mean though isn't that interesting I noticed it more in Clubhouse than I have any place else in my life that there are people who are online to consume and people who are online to create yeah and that some people literally don't even want to be called on, which is the funny thing because I'm the type of person who goes into a classroom and sits in the front row and I have all these questions. If I'm not there, that means I hate it there, right? But if I went in voluntarily, I'm straight to the front. Yeah, All these people on Clubhouse who hate it when you call on them, they don't want to talk. They do want to enjoy the full hour with you, but they don't want to engage. Yeah, And so you keep finding that you thought you were going to go in there and create community and yeah. people want to take a class from you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's also good noticing too. And I've been talking to my coach about this because like for me, this like goes into, I deal with such imposter syndrome and such and a bit. And like, and like, I know I have a big voice. I know I have a lot to say and trust me, as you guys know, who are listening, I can say what I need to say. And I'm, I'm also the person that's like, well, why would people want to listen to me? You know what I mean? Like why, Mm -hmm. like, you know, so like, 
I, I get to grow in that space where like, you know, I created this platform, I created this community. People are obviously here to like receive something. Give it to them, boo. Give it to them. But I haven't figured that out. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's such a common barrier. It's so surprising to me for it to come from a comedian because in my mind, comedians and actors and people who do theater are the most brave people yeah. on the planet because yeah. like every time you do your art, you are at risk of being criticized or torn apart. Yeah. And yeah. people don't pull punches. Like they're legit it's a job to criticize what you do, which is fucking crazy. Like, thank God it's nobody's job to criticize me except for, you know, like my boss periodically, but it's not, (laughs) thank God. But I just, that's so interesting to hear it coming from you too. So it gets us all that's helpful. Mm -hmm. That transparency helps me out and oh, I hope yeah. it helps people listening out. Even I mean, because for me, it's also a different medium. Like I can go on stage now, like because I've done stand up, if you will, for so long that like I mean, I still get jitters, I still get nervous for sure. But there's a point in the like by this point, I'm like I'm funny, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like the feedback is I'm funny, and with the queer podcast group, there is a level of like I mean, I've been podcasting for a year, year and a half. I have a sponsor now, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But like all of these things are like more like on paper, yes. But in real life, I'm still like, I'm just in my bedroom, like trying to figure it out. Like, you know, <laughs> like, like what's SEO? How do we get this? Like, okay, doing better. And like, even just with you, I was going, I've been listening to your podcast and stuff like that. And I love your show notes on how you're like, uh, in this episode, we talked about this and you have like your little rainbow bullet points and stuff. I'm, so, I'm, still I'm like, so into emojis. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And so like, even even me still like I see that I'm like oh my goodness that's a great way to even like have a cooler show note like maybe I could do a diamond or like you know whatever like yes so that's where I'm still going and that's why I wanted to grow it in the sense it's like as even though I have been doing what I've been doing you're doing something that could work for me and I want us to all learn from each other in that way and I still get a step in that space of like okay maybe maybe I'll just pick up what Dahlia's doing and then I guess I just tell everybody else I don't know (laughs) (laughs) well it's so strange I keep wanting to be at a point where I'm completely free from imposter syndrome and I don't compare myself to other people and a friend that I, I think I also met on club. No, I met through podcasting. Podcasting is great for growth. And yeah. technically I think anything could be a spiritual journey or professional or personal development journey, but something that you do consistently that keeps introducing you to things you're not familiar with. Yeah. Wow. If you want to grow really fucking quickly, be an entrepreneur, be a podcaster, keep putting yourself out there and have to do it on your own. Don't have access to generational wealth while you're at it. Have to do all the shit by yourself. (laughs) You, You don't have an editor. You're not a graphic designer, but at least there's Canva now. There's just so many things (laughs) that you have to learn how to do. And to me, the biggest barrier is being comfortable with looking like a beginner. Because I know, I don't know if you had the same experience, but for me, I was always told folks of color need to do, you know, three times as much work and work 
so much harder. Make sure that you also understand that you will get a fraction of the credit that some mediocre cis white head dude got um, for turning out some bullshit with the advantage of all kinds of generational wealth and stuff. So even though I think in a lot of cases, that's not true. I've heard it so many times that I keep feeling like I'm not doing enough and I better not press publish because it's not perfect yet. And I think, well, I better wait until I have this or I have that. And I kept thinking one day I won't experience this anymore. One day I'm going to do so much spiritual work. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to be like so fucking enlightened that no one will be able to check me. No my work 24 hours a day. And I realized that's not a thing. Like humans don't finish growing. It's not a thing. And you're always going to be uncomfortable if you're doing anything expansive. And I think most of us are on the planet to do things that are expansive. A lot of us decide to play super small and never be uncomfortable. But while we're avoiding discomfort, we're also avoiding all kinds of opportunity for joy and connection. And it's been so hard for me to accept that I'm never going to get so woke or spiritually enlightened that these feelings will go away because I look at your posts online and I'm like, why can't I be more effervescent? Like <laughs> what, why can't I dance like that on camera? Oh my goodness, you don't want to know how bad my dancing is. You don't want to see it. Oh and my just, goodness. I don't believe it. I'm so jealous of people who can do reels that bring in their musical talent and like that physical Physicality, that body with not everybody has that, you know, some of us have poor spatial awareness. We're the people that are probably going to accidentally hit you on the dance floor. Oh, I'm that person. Goodness. And that person doesn't need to be making reels. And I've seen people <laughs> doing it. <laughs> if it brings them joy, then they should do it. But I feel like it just brings me anxiety. And in that context, I cannot stop comparing myself to people who can dance like you. And it's one of my old traumas around you're not black enough because you can't dance Mm. and having been compared repeatedly as a little kid to white people who were like good dancers. Okay. I I was going to like play it down and be like, they were perfectly fine. No, actually (laughs) we're like legit good dancers and having people put that on me that these are the things that you must be to be black and you're not Mm. filling all the criteria, which is really dumb. But if you hear it enough, it will probably become a hangup. So I think you're doing amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. And what's really, I'm so grateful that you brought that up about like us as black people, us as colored people have to work that much harder hearing that because honestly, in all the like years of coaching that I've done, I've never really brought that up. And that's something that was so proud. Like, honestly, you're saying that I'm like, oh my goodness, no wonder why I'm like such a perfect, like I want to do everything. So like, it has to look good. It has to be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you get shocked? Like Like, legit shook when you look at someone else, you know, they're out of the red, right? You know, they're in the black, their business is doing great. And they have some clip art bullshit on their site. And you're like, how the fuck did they feel comfortable enough? Yeah, real real talk. Like I've even seen paid thousand billion dollars like commercials and been like, wow. And they felt fine and they moved (laughs) on. And I'm like, why can't I do that? Why can't I press publish? Yeah. And 
Yeah, but like that was something that I definitely was so inst- my mom like love her to death. I love who I've become. And it was something so like you have to like they're going to judge you as like even more harder. You're going to have to work that much more to get to even a minuscule, not a minuscule, but just like things that are going to be very easy for your white counterparts or not. She didn't even say that as nicely as that, but like, or just like (laughs) white counterparts are not going to be that easy for you. So you're going to have to work your ass off. You're going to have to make it look presentable, make yourself look good, presentable, all Mm. that stuff. And so I totally, I'm like, wow, a lot of internalized folks stuff right there yeah yes it's so strange trying to work through your shit sometimes too when most of the people who are positioned as the person who can help you work through your shit haven't had that experience yeah yeah and everybody i think who works with like coaching or therapists people are aware that we are products of our environment but I don't think it's very easy for people to understand what our environment is. It doesn't matter if you had two loving parents in your household. I had two. I still have two. They've been married for like 40 something years. The amount of trauma. So this is why my work is centered around serving folks of color and queer folks and preferably both because yeah. it that's another layer of trauma Real talk i mean when in our own community you can't be sure that your humanity will go unquestioned you can't be sure that someone even another queer black cis man's probably gonna question like i don't know why you have to be so femme i don't know how it's always yeah. something lots of layers there but when you're in an environment where you are a descendant of people who experienced a lot of trauma. That already has changed the game for you. You are more sensitive. You're more vulnerable to anxiety and depression. Then you're born in the U.S. where vacations are like only bad people take vacations if you're working class. Anybody who's worked full time, you know that whenever you submit a request for leave, it's always a problem. It doesn't matter that that was part of the benefit package you were offered when you accepted the hire. It's always like, well, I don't know if Why are you doing work. it now? Like, we're I mean, in does the it really have to this. be two consecutive days? Can you not put something in between? It's always a problem. So it's like a cultural thing here with our super conservative, oh, um, deny yourself of everything, Protestant roots. You should always be working. Like that's where your value comes from. And since we are kind of stuck in it, even if that's not our own culture, that's what we internalize too. So then on top of that, you think, well, I also have to prove that I'm a good one, even though God help you if that language in your head hasn't changed, but that's essentially what it is. Like we may be using different words for it now. So I have to prove that I have value through labor. And then you think of all the things we've watched over the years where the person of color character, the black person, they are not center in the narrative. They're a catalyst for the growth of the white lead. So you're there either for emotional support, you're there to tell jokes, or you're there just for straight up wisdom. How many times have we seen that magical Negro trope? How many times have we seen that 
the cool sidekick or the cool friend. They don't have a story of their own. We never see their house. They don't ever date anybody, but they're there to show us like this white lead is so cool. They're so nice. They're not racist. Like never mind that they've never provided emotional support to this character and no shade against the actors. They didn't write it. But I mean, that's the way these things keep being presented to us. We have internalized that. And so many people, I meet people all the time who tell me that I haven't been oppressed. You don't live in the hood. Number one, um, you only know where I live now. So you don't know what you're talking about. And then secondly, just because you achieve some level of access, you don't get to opt out of all the racist bullshit. You don't get to not be affected by the fact that every time you see someone who looks like you on television, they are part of the scenery and they're no more important than like a chair in the room or they're being beaten to death or in some other way being criticized and torn down. And it's really funny to me how many people want to- like a villain edit or some type of thing like that. Exactly. Yeah. I even think about the things I watched as a child in cartoon form. (laughs) You look back and so many of these characters that as a kid, you didn't consciously read this character supposed to be black, but you still got it on some level. And when you look back, it's super freaking obvious. Yeah. Like the lazy crows in certain animated movies. I'm sure we remember. And who you're talking about. You know, like what does that do to you? So when people this year, this past year, kept acting as though racism is something that other people have a problem with, especially liberal white folks who were stuck on maybe their relatives that express their racism in overt ways and refusing to do their own work because we cannot change other people. We can't. Yeah. And other people's racism should not be our problem. Now, when we come to trying to change policy because of the ways in which other people's bigotry becomes our problem, like if you're a trans kid and you need to put your puberty on pause Now other people's bigotry has become your problem. Real talk. So to me, the fight is getting to the point that we have legal recourse when we are, when our lives are interrupted by other people's bigotry. But I do not believe it should be our goal to help all these people understand our humanity. I am tired of trying to validate and explain my humanity to other people. I'm not going to do it anymore. And one of the biggest things I struggled with going through 2020 was realizing how many ways I played down my Blackness to make other people comfortable and how many ways I had allowed other people to define what Blackness is for me. Because I'm half American and one quarter Afro-Cuban and one quarter Jamaican. First of all, the diaspora has never been a monolith. But Mm -hmm. even as recently as freaking Biden said it, like the black community isn't diverse like the Latino community. How do you know, old man? How do you know? And that is the common belief. So he's a perfect example of someone who isn't as overtly racist as the piece of shit Cheeto that came before him. However, he still... I does mean, not know what heard, he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, he also, we all, the, you're not black if you don't vote for him type of thing too. I was like. <laughs> well, how do you, do you like how everybody refers to the black vote? Like it's the one person, this one person, like yeah, none of us have yeah, met. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the one person. Interessante. Well, I think that's actually a really good segue to even into like the conversation we were having before we were recording about like how like well you mentioned that you had listened to the episode that I I called myself out for needing more representation and like when I we 
when we were talking, I was like, oh, I was posting one white man after another white man picture. And I was like, oh, this ain't good. <laughs> you said, oh, whoops. Yeah. yeah. And I, Did I do that. <laughs> and I think that there's a level sometimes that like even us as black people are just even just people. I think one of the things that I wanted to come from that conversation is everyone has to take a look inward and what Mm. what we're what we're all doing you know no one is off the hook on what we can do better in in any way or shape or form just like you were kind of talking about earlier where that like i definitely related this like when am i going to graduate get that diploma of like now i'm woke now i've hit you know <laughs> self-discovery to the max you know the phd like all of it and there is a level of still getting to check myself and i think that there are different ways in our community even that we've kind of felt Falling a little bit, I don't want to say complacent, but like there is a level that we still get to continue to revise ourselves and our like wording and just how we embrace each other. Because like something we didn't really or I didn't touch on is like I felt this so much growing up queer and black. It's like I'm fighting to be in two different communities because like one, it's like I'm like I'm already a little bit more whitewashed as a black person, and then. I'm queer. And then that being in the black community is definitely like a no, no, or if you're, like you're, if you're queer, then you still have to be super masculine queer man, mm-hmm. because then you can't be too femme because then that takes away from who you are as a man, a black man and what that means in America and all that stuff and all of those things. So there's just so many things that we're putting. I just feel like we're not, we can do better. All of us. That's all. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. And- 100%. And remembering that just because you hold margin identities, that doesn't mean you cannot also participate in oppressing and silencing another group of people. And in the Black community, my experience at least has been that it is Black concerns and moving Black folks forward. The top concern is cis, het, Black dudes. And everybody else is lower on the list. And the violence of misogyny or misogynoir, that's a hard word, is so severe. It's really difficult sometimes for me to navigate all Black spaces. Mm. If it's not people I know very well that usually are femme identified and at least a little affirming of queer people because there are even folks I spend time with now that they're like, Oh, it's okay for you to be queer or whatever that MB non-binary stuff is you're talking about, but please don't let my child be like that. Oh, yeah. To my face all the time. And I'm like, okay, you can feel however you want about that, but your child doesn't get to choose. I don't know why you've bothered developing a preference for something that can't be controlled. Yeah. But when you know that when you go into queer spaces, you will be confronted with racism. And when you go into black faces, you'll be confronted with homophobia. It leaves you prone to stuff like being blind to the fact that you keep on featuring one type of person. Mm-hmm. This was a person who responded well to you. There's a person, you know, and you like their vibe and we also only make up a fraction of the population in the United States. So just numbers wise, 
unless you live in like a small bubble, the majority of the folks you know are going to be white. That's what's been so interesting to me this year, hearing how some people are more concerned about their own feelings and the lives of people who are experiencing systemic oppression and who get super defensive when you try to explain like, yes, I know you and I love you. And you are not concerned with the liberation of these marginalized identities that I belong to. And that's a problem for me. I literally don't know how to stop loving cis white men. How do I do that? All of my programming, everything I ever watched as a child, how are they showcased? They're the fathers. They're loving. They're the, you know, romantic lead. They're this, they're that. I've had so much brainwashing in favor of accepting an entire group of people unquestionably. It's insane to me to hear people in my life express that they feel like everybody hates white men now. I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) If I put that at the top of my agenda, I can't even do that. Like after 30 years of being trained to think like, that's my top romantic choice. You're yeah, these yeah, things, yeah. you know, like, dude, I don't hate you, but you could like relinquish that death grip you have on the mic and maybe um, amplify some other voices. Facts, facts, <laughs> facts, which brings like, and yeah, which so many white guys, that podcast, which you were telling me about, that's like, ah, oh, I can't wait to listen to that. I cannot. I just love the concept. And to hear that, None of us have chosen to be born into the identities that we have. You no more choose to be marginalized than you choose to be privileged. But once you become aware of what's going on, then you have a responsibility to act accordingly. And I think as a moral person, we all have the responsibility to center the most vulnerable. I know it can be really difficult to be assigned female at birth and to be Black and to be in the United States and to not feel femme at all. But I also know that the chances of me being murdered this year are way lower than all of my trans friends' chances. And to me, it doesn't make sense for me to be like, well, fuck you, because um, I have issues. It just doesn't feel right to me. But I do feel like everybody needs to answer whatever call they receive when it comes to activism. Some people are going to march. Some people are never going to do that. Some people are going to visit Capitol Hill. Some people are going to do activism from a stage. It's all good. But the most important thing is remembering that just because we are receiving some form of abuse doesn't mean that everyone else's abuse is not important and it's not a competition. To be human is to be in pain. So people who think when you talk about your pain, that means you're assuming they don't have any are confused. Everybody's in pain. Like everybody's working through stuff, but some people are so vulnerable. We really need to focus on them. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. And (laughs) I'm going to pivot a little bit because this is a little like everything we've talked about is like exactly what I love talking about. So I'm not going to take away from that. But I also want to give some space for you to talk about your work. Uh, I know a little bit of that is kind of mixed in there in some ways, you know, as a social justice warrior as well. But I know that you do so much more than that as well. But I want to talk to you a little bit about some Cola Diamond moments maybe you have. Do you want to introduce some some work that you do as well? Yeah, all of my work, I'm a registered dietitian and I focus on using the body as an entry point to personal growth and experiencing more peace in your life in general. So 
in your body doesn't always feel like a safe place to be. And a lot of the messaging we get tells us that to protect your health and to be a responsible adult, you need to deprive yourself. You need to feel bad if you're in a larger body. You need to concern yourself with how other people perceive your body. But all of my work is about focusing inward on how what you're doing is making you feel and prioritizing feeling good. And a lot of people who've dieted for years think the idea of focusing on things tasting good or making you feel good sounds bananas because we've been trained to think we have to suffer to get good things, even to get good health. But the truth is throughout nature, good feelings and pleasure are positive feedback frequently indicating that that thing needs to be part of life. We don't have to worry about humanity being, you know, wiped from the face of the planet because we don't have children enough because sex is so pleasurable. You don't have to encourage people to have babies. Even the CDC says that almost 50% of pregnancies are unplanned. That's because the process of making a baby feels good. So thank you, nature. The rest (laughs) of us don't have to worry about that. But when it comes to food as well, if you really focus on your inner experience when you're eating, you'll notice there's a lot of things you eat that you do not enjoy that you have become attached to because they're restricted or they're put out there as forbidden foods. So if somebody brings a bunch of donuts into your office and you hear people getting triggered saying like, oh, I can't even go in there. I'll lose my mind. I'll get so tempted. That tells you they've been restricting donuts for a while or it's been on their be careful with this food list for too long. Because somebody who doesn't have a bunch of rules around food will go in there, they might eat half of it and be like, and now it's starting to feel too sweet and throw it away. That is someone who's listening to their body because as you really start getting into a meal, especially if it's super rich or high in calories, your taste buds will get less and less sensitive. So the most delicious part of the meal was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And if you are eating slowly enough, you will sense when you're not interested anymore. But there are a lot of different things that work against that in the culture that we're in. People don't want to give you enough time to eat. People definitely don't want you to be able to relax and like socialize for two hours over your meal. In a lot of countries, lunch takes hours and they literally shut the city down. <laughs> but yeah. not here, you know, because yeah. I, I remember years ago when I traveled to Spain. I was going to say I, Spain is like that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I thought I was going to run errands on my lunch break. <laughs> <laughs> Incorrect. Wrong country. Everything closed. Yeah. And people had time. The host family I stayed with, you didn't just have time to eat and laugh and carry on. You had time for a nap. I mean, I knew that siestas were a thing or I knew the word. But I just didn't understand that people were literally going to take a nap in the middle of the day. Yeah. So the way things are set up here in the West, it really makes it a little bit challenging. You have to intentionally stay connected to your body and intentionally stay connected to yourself. But I love using eating as an entry point for mindfulness because we do that several times a day. And if we're feeling super busy, we may feel like a meditation practice doesn't feel obtainable, but you can eat mindfully 
And that will help you over time, get more and more connected to what your body is telling you. And so the next time you're in a situation where you need to speak up for yourself, it'll be easier for you to feel that. The next time um, you're in, uh, in bed with somebody and something's happening that you're not too keen on, you will be able to say like, you know, this doesn't feel good for me. So let's do something else. It really affects you in so many areas. And so if you don't eat in a mindful way and you diet all the time because people have convinced you, and this is definitely due to no fault of our own because this messaging is everywhere. If people have convinced us that our body is not good enough and we need to dedicate our time to trying to shrink it, trying to control it, trying to change it, you will find that self-doubt and questioning yourself, it's all over your life, all over. And that in addition to all the programming we have to not believe ourselves, it can make it really challenging to experience the joy in your life that you deserve. So I work with people to combat the damage of systemic oppression through self-care and empowered eating practices. Love it. I'm like, I can totally <laughs> relate to some of, well, one of the things that I've been working with just with my life coach, not really, I mean, all, as you know, it all kind of correlates, you know? And one of the things that I've been focusing on is that feeling, uh, being addicted to the feeling of good and not like mm. good in like, like sex and all that stuff, but like remembering like, oh, when I want eat healthy and stuff like that, the feeling good of like not being bloated and da, 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 like in my body and stuff like that. Or like, you know, when I meditate, like how good that feels after, or when I stretch all that stuff. So getting addicted to those feelings of good so that I'm like guiding myself into those habits so that I get to those things. Oh, um, and when you were saying that, it was kind of reminding me of that because like, I mean, you, it's, it was for everybody. It's different, you know, like adding a meditation practice sometimes is like, it is sometimes daunting for me. Cause I'm like, I got a couple podcast episodes. I got to wake up at seven to add the end of that. So I'm like, oh, but then, you know, when I do do it, it's like, oh, that, that feeling of like, just the, what do you call it? Just, I want to say mindfulness, but it's more just like calming and mm, um, relaxing yeah. that or that sensations are so much more what I kind of been trying to focus on. But all of that too comes into play with eating and listening to my body more. And it's like, yeah. it's so, so important. So important. Such a beautiful thing because, and this is one of the things I do love about coaching, a good coach, a trained coach knows that you have the answer. Yeah. You yeah. are having trouble finding the answer or hearing it or giving yourself permission to use it. Mm -hmm. But the more we look to ourselves yeah. for healing, the better. So yeah. when we go to someone who says they want to help us, but they keep telling us they know the way, but they're not letting us do the majority of the talking. They're not asking us the questions for us to get to our own answer. They yeah. don't know. You yeah. know. Facts. Facts. And before I do another little segue, I also want to just kind of, because this reminds me of something we we're also talking about when we we're talking about like therapy and just seeking like guidance, especially with like 
in the Black community. I do think that there's such a big need right now for therapists of um, or people, coaches that are people of color that are also part of the Black community, because that comes with that knowing and shared experience as well. And I think that also comes with that kind of relatability. And I also think that like in our community, like self-work and therapy and that type of like inner thinking is so sometimes like one taboo or like, what are you doing? What are you spending your money right. on? Like, why are you going to go talk? Like those people like don't know you, they don't care. Like they oh, want your yeah. money, all that kind of, like just different things. Like it's a lot, there's just so many aspects, so many things that like my mom is so, like it's weird cause she's like, she works in the medical field, but she's so anti-therapy cause she's like, I don't want it to people know my business. Like I know my business, like God, God will handle it too. And I'm like, yeah, girl. I mean, yeah. (laughs) Okay. But I just think that, you know, in our community, the more people that are going to therapy, but also the more people that are able to give that therapy that are able Mm. to do that self-work and then share that. So I wanted all of that to say, thank you for your work too, that you're doing on yourself to be able to share that with other people. Um, I think that's just so beautiful because so needed right now. It really is. And only 2% of dietitians in the United States are black. So Mm. there's not a whole lot of us. And like we said earlier, unfortunately, a black face doesn't necessarily mean it'll be a safer space, but it does at least help sometimes just if you've had had so much trauma. Yeah. I was lucky because right out the gate, I stumbled across someone who that was the focus of their studies. And it was a white cis het lady, but she had spent years studying this and presented things to me that I had just never processed. So it was a lot of things that I knew intuitively, but because my experience said, no, this isn't true. This can't be real. Like I thought it was a big deal. Yeah. Everybody said it wasn't a big deal. Yeah, It was just very helpful for me to have my life experience validated. And in therapy, I really felt like it was me finding my own solutions, but listening to someone who had been paid to be neutral and paid to only give me answers that would be in service to me. And that is not something that our friends can do for us because they're being friends. They're not therapists. So I don't really feel like there's a replacement, you know, for therapy. No. And they're just like, they're putting their own stuff in it, their own traumas, their own experiences, their own, like they're, I have, because I've come from a, like I've done a lot of, like a lot of trainings that come from like looking inward and like asking more questions. And like, I have a lot of coaching friends. So a lot of my friends do know a lot about like just asking questions and like not, you you have your own answers type of thing, but they're, and being a little, like being more neutral than a lot, some of them still have their own like, <laughs> Right, right. But, you know, friends aren't <laughs> neutral. Friends are not neutral. And most friends are pretty much, like, in my experience, going to tell you what you want to hear. Even the good ones that are like, you know, there's a certain level of realness that you get. And it's like the realness mm. that they think that you can handle as well. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And that they think the relationship can handle because I will tell things to my best friend that I won't tell other very close friends that I think if I tell them something that they really don't want to face, they're going to kick me to the curb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with someone that you feel like, yeah, right, right. Like with someone that you almost feel like family with and, you know, we could have a falling out and not talk for six months, but they're coming back. Mm. I'll tell them. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other people, you don't know if your friendship can bear it. Yeah, yeah. Facts. Big facts. There's no real segue I have to lead into this, but I really (laughs) want to try this little diamond goodie bag of questions. So guys, you guys haven't seen this yet, but I have in this bag a bunch of diamonds. We'll show you the diamonds because they're super cute. You can get them on Amazon. I actually send these out to some guests and um, not actually I haven't done to a lot of guests this season, but for Christmas last year, I gave out these diamonds. Oh, I love it. And, um, and these, in these bags with coals as well. So, cause the diamonds are already your diamonds, but you need some coal so you can turn them into diamonds. <laughs> oh, I, love that. I love your framing that you even explain. I don't know if it was an intro or if it was in a particular episode that it takes a really long time for a diamond to form. Yeah. Like, I think this is very important to point out. That's beautiful. And so it takes a long time for them to form. And the process and the chemical bonding is one of the strongest bonds. So whenever you have the diamond that's actually made, it's usually there for like the longest anything could ever be there, you know? Oh, I love so it's like, and a science, like, because I didn't even explain it that nicely, but somebody who's like all into science actually told me that. They're like, oh my goodness. And I love your analogy because when it's like the carbon, da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, cute. <laughs> You see how you can know things intuitively yeah. and we could receive that message from you, even if we didn't remember anything we learned in chemistry <laughs> and it's all good. It's like beautiful that they added that layer, but at the same time, the way you conveyed it, it was something only you could do. Oh, thank it, you. It all kinds. Yeah. I appreciate you. And so there are some little spicy questions in here. I call them spicy, but they're really not that spicy, but they're totally unrelated to everything we've talked about. So that kind of makes them spicy. And they're kind of geared to get to know you in a different side as well. So I'm just going to put in my little hand in here and you're going to tell me when to stop and I'll probably just pull out a question. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Is that the stop? Yes, that's oh. <laughs> I was like, are you you just clear on the instructions? That's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is foolish. Um, have you ever peed in the shower? Oh, that, you know, this is so funny. I heard this on another podcast recently, and one person was acting like it was so disgusting. I thought everybody peed in the shower. I thought that too. That's what actually, I didn't hear that podcast, but I did have this conversation. It was one of those like cards against humanity type questions or whatever. And people were like, oh no, I didn't pee in the shower. And I was like, what? Stop lying. Stop I lying. thought everybody peed in the shower. <laughs> I thought that was just a humanly scientific thing. Like the body couldn't handle being in the shower without well, peeing it just, or something. It feels like that's what you should do while you're in there um, before you start your, your official shower. <laughs> but I can understand maybe some people being weird out. I, I personally will not bathe because to me, baths make no sense because you're sitting in your own filth. <laughs> baths are a whole thing. People yeah, love yeah, that. Yeah. So I think it's so weird. I certainly wouldn't pee in a bath if I no. had to take a bath for some reason. <laughs> but I really just don't understand why people don't like the peeing in the shower thing. I'm saving uh-huh. the planet, right? Didn't we just yeah. save a flush? Yes, totally. It's green. It's convenient. 
What's not to like? What's not to like? I just, I was so, I literally thought it was an everybody thing. And I feel like the people that say no are lying, but I just, I'll take it for face value. I'll take it. I'm going to go in here for another question though. Stop. Stop. Okay. Actually, my hand was on that one question for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Say it. Are you going to say it? Ooh, this one is kind of a spicier one, but not like that crazy. What is a secret you haven't told your parents? Oh. Yeah. You know, the problem with that is, if I say it here, what if they hear it? (laughs) Then you'll have to tell them. Okay, you know, uh, before, of course, my mind went to something that was like way too spicy. Yeah, yeah. Um, thinking back to my childhood, I don't know if other people have Medium done this. spice. Like if you do something shady and you get away with it and then yeah. you just choose to never disclose it and then it seems stupid to yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you did it. Facts. Um, yeah, I remember like stealing change from a change jar. Oh my goodness. And yeah. everyone assumed my little brother took it because he had <laughs> sticky fingers. And I totally let him take the rap. Oh my goodness. I never said anything. And it was kind of pitiful because it like added to a negative perception of him and the sticky fingers. Oh he felt no. so frustrated because he knew he didn't do it, but he couldn't yeah. prove otherwise. And being an evil older sister, I just let it ride. I was just like, oh, that's oh. life. <laughs> <laughs> Like the things you do to your siblings. I have since had to apologize for being like such an asshole. I kept thinking that if I treated him bad enough, he might run away. Oh and my And I could God. be the youngest again. Stop. I was that, that evil. I was like, yeah, if I just keep on piling on, he'll leave and I'll be the youngest again. And no one will miss him, right? Because that's how that works. <laughs> but luckily he made it through his childhood in one piece and he accepted my apology. Oh my goodness. I... <laughs> what's funny is I grew up an only child and for a long time I always wanted a sibling for like stupid (laughs) stuff like that like just to have just to be able to grow up well I guess in that time I wasn't like I want to grow up and say this but it was just to have those like sibling fights or rivalry type things pin it on them because like obviously it was me crazy (laughs) experience (laughs) just being it's so strange because as a kid I felt like you should know everything about me. We're going to be exactly the same. We're raised in the same environment. But as an adult, I realized no two kids are raised by the same parents. Your parents keep aging. Their finances change. They evolve. They understand more things or they get more tired. No two siblings have the same parents. So you weren't technically raised in exactly the same environment. So their experience of childhood might not even sound familiar when they explain it. It's really, it's interesting. Yeah. All right. So last question, we ask everybody the same question. It's, we've all heard the quote, be the change you wish to see. What's the change you wish to see? And how are you going to be that, Dahlia? Mm, I want for everyone to understand that their worth is not debatable and their humanity doesn't need to be justified or explained. And I try to be the change with the work that I do, but also understanding that I have to continually do my own healing work so that I can manifest some level of liberation in myself 
and serve the people around me, even if it's just as an example of someone who feels comfortable in their body and who knows that being yourself, whether that means I'm aging or I'm gaining weight or I'm becoming more vocal about things that trouble me in the world, none of that can separate me from the love of the people who are meant to be in my life. Yes. 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 We love it. We love it. We love it. We love it. Well, thank you for being here with me. I appreciate it, especially in the scheduling me. conflict too, with like the audition and all that stuff too. So uh, yeah, I hope you get it. Thank you guys for tuning into another episode of Turning Coal into Diamonds. Thank you, Dahlia, for being so awesome and coming in and sharing your experiences and being vulnerable and quite honestly, just doing your work and sharing what you do in our community, both in our queer spaces and our black spaces. We need so many more people like yourself. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And make sure you guys are never missing an episode by hitting that follow and subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast right now and make sure to go follow us on our socials on instagram twitter pretty much everywhere tcid podcast tcidpodcast.com we'll have more stuff with dahlia there and as always make sure that you guys are making powerful decisions and make sure you guys keep turning coal into diamonds bye y'all